We are in the book of Genesis, and we are find ourselves this morning in chapter 32. And um, I'm going to be our scripture reader this morning because the person who's going to read has a sick child, so I'll take care of the scripture reading this morning. You'll follow along on the screen or on your device or your paper Bible. Chapter 32, it says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus shall you say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed with him until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent them to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the heads of herds of camels into two camps. thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that was left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between the drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose, do these, the, the, and, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant is behind us, for he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose, he took his, wife, his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jack Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, 
because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this story is about wrestling. And in the South, when you think about wrestling, you usually think about this, WWE. And that's, that's actually not real wrestling, although there's some skill involved. When I was a kid, there was like no skill involved. There was a bunch of fat guys took off their shirts and pretended to fight each other. And everybody thought it was, some people thought it was real. But I remember when I was like 13 years old, I was a paper boy back in the day when people delivered papers house to house. And I was delivering the papers on a Saturday morning. And the, the screen door was, uh, I used to deliver it like to the front porch. And this guy had his door open, but the screen door was open. And I, I said, hey, Mr. So-and-so, your paper's here. And I, he got up and handed it to me. And I noticed on, he was sitting in his recliner watching wrestling, this kind of wrestling, you know, the WWE type. I don't know if they had WWE back then, but they had WWF and all kinds of stuff. But he's watching this kind. And I said, I said, oh, you're watching wrestling, huh? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Every Saturday morning, that's what I watch. I said, yeah, it's funny how some people think that's real. And he goes, it is real. And he looked at me as serious as could be. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever you think, you know. See, I grew up doing this type of wrestling. In fact, I, uh, when I was... Uh, I didn't wrestle for the high school team. We just had it as a gym class, and he was te- the coach was teaching us wrestling. And, of course, every 10 pounds you have a weight class, and so there's the s- small guys wrestling the small guys or whatever. But I was 185 pounds, and there was nobody in the class except for one other kid who was 245 pounds. So I, he, we were the only guys even close to weight class, so I had to wrestle him. So we ended up in a stand-up position, and he had me from behind, and he had my wrist like this. And I kind of like tried to grab his leg to make him fall. But instead of falling backwards, we fell forward on my wrist. And I broke my wrist there. You could hear the crack, you know. And, and the coach goes, Milborn, come here. And I get up and I take my hand over and he goes, move your fingers. Do this. Oh, it's fine. You're just not broken. So I delivered newspapers for the next three days with a broken wrist. And I'm like, Dad, this is still killing me. So I went to the emergency room and, yeah, it was broken. <laughs> so um, this is what people think about wrestling. But when... When, East, when Jacob is wrestling with somebody in the story, it's, it's not like this kind of thing where there's a referee. And it's definitely not this kind of thing where it's fake. This is two men like hand-to-hand combat fighting, you know. And this is not what Jacob was expecting. Let me give you some background behind the story. First of all, Jacob's a twin. His twin's brother's name is Esau. And from the, even prenatally, they were wrestling. And it wasn't like a little friendly thing. It's like, their mom goes to the village women and says, hey, what's going on inside of me? This is crazy. These kids are like actually like fighting. Is this normal? Like, no, it's not normal. And so from even before they were born, they were wrestling with one another. And um, he, when they got to be teenagers, he wrestled away, metaphorically speaking, the birthright from the older brother, Esau, and he tricked him into you know, selling it for a, a bowl of red stew. And then he re- later in life at age 60 years later, wrestled away his father's blessing when his father thought he was on his deathbed and he was going to bless them. He wrestled away from that. And then he ran from Esau because Esau's so mad that he stole the blessing that he's going to kill him. So mom says, hey, let's just say you go out of town and find a wife and stay gone for a while, okay? Maybe a few weeks or whatever, maybe until your brother calms down. Well, he never, it took 20 years before he came back. And he wrestled with Laban over his wages. Laban tricks him, and, and he's working for, I think, seven years for Rachel. And behold, in the morning, it's Leah. So he has to work another seven years to get the bride that he wants. And so now there's wrestling amongst the sisters. In fact, again, metaphorically speaking, when Rachel finally does have a baby, she says, I have wrestled with my sister and won. And so you see that this is a theme of the book of Genesis, when the, in, particularly in the life of, of Jacob. And his name means one who grabs the heel, which is like a wrestling maneuver to trip somebody up. And now he's running again from Laban. And uh, he, so he's being chased here by, he was being, last week we learned he was being chased by Laban's army. And finally when he gets there, he decides not to kill him, but they, come, they, break, they cut a covenant. So here he is, he's been chased by one army, and it seems like it's okay, but now he's about to go into what we'll see here is another army. So life has not been boring for Jacob at all. Jacob has been outside of the land of promise for 20 years, but he's never been outside the hand of promise. It's a great quote by Pastor Skip Heitzig. So Jacob is still under the control of God, even though he's wandering, God's in control. So here's how we're going to divide up this chapter. First of all, Jacob has this plan for manipulation. But then 
things change and there's a prayer of desperation. And then there's the attempt to appease his brother. And then finally, there's the night of wrestling, which is what the main theme is about. So let's talk about what Jacob was trying to do here. He's always a manipulator, but God has other plans. He's trying to show him, look, you thought you met your match in Laban. Tonight, you're going to meet your match ultimately. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And so the other day I was in a, uh, a resale shop with my wife. She likes to buy used stuff like that. And you see angels like this. I almost bought one for $1.99 just so I could smash it up here because this is not angels. This is nothing like angels. Angels are not babies. They're not cute little things. Every time someone encounters an angel in the Bible, what do they tell the people who see them? Don't be afraid because they are scary looking, okay? You might want to picture, so blow that up idea of, of baby angels, okay? Angels look maybe something like this. Again, we don't know exactly but they were something, they were warriors, they were, and, they, and sometimes they appeared by the tens of thousands. Remember the shepherds saw them at night, and they were just totally terrified, and they, they fell down like they were dead men. So get that high idea of angels. This is what Jacob sees. He sees the angels of God, and what does he say? This is God's camp. Not talking about RV parking out, at, you know, somewhere at a, at a state park. We're talking about God's army camp. This is a this is a where, where an army has set up camp and this, and he's come across that and God has allowed him to see with spiritual eyes the angels of God so he calls this place literally in Hebrew it means double camp in um in Hebrew just like we do in English if you want to emphasize something you say it twice you can say God's holy or you can say holy 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 or and in fact when he sold them that red stew it was red red. Okay, it was, and so we say, you know, um, he's a man's man, right? This was a camp camp. This wasn't just some small army camp. This was a massive army camp that he's seeing here. So they were, there were angels on the way out of the promised land. Remember the stairway to heaven? It's commonly called Jacob's ladder, but it was more like a rampart. He saw that on his way out of the promised land. And now on his way back in the promised land, he's encountering the angels of get, again, because God's showing to hey. I have angels all around the promised land protecting it and taking care of it. So there's angels on the way out, angels on the way in. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about angels. And I think because some people make too much of angels, sometimes we swing the pendulum the other way and we don't talk enough about angels. There needs to be a balance. Hebrews says, ask this rhetorical question. Are not angels ministering spirits? That's the most important thing you can understand about angels. They are here to minister spiritual, you know, invisible spirits that minister to us. Remember um, uh, Elijah, when he, Elijah, when he was uh, in the wilderness and he was discouraged, the angels came and they ministered him. In fact, one angel even cooked him breakfast and all that. And so when Jesus, after 40 days in the wilderness, what does it say? The Bible says angels came and ministered to him and they ministered to us as well. And they are ministering spirits sent out to serve, to serve who? For the sake of those who are to inherit, inherit salvation. Who is that? That's us. So you have, so the whole concept of a guardian angel, it, it's a very biblical thing. Um, sorry, wrong button here. All right. So um, Proverbs 91.11 says, For he will command, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I bet that everybody in this room has probably had a car accident you probably should have been in if it wasn't for an angel that might have prevented it. There's a lot of things going on protecting us at all different times. And in fact, it says the angel of the Lord, which is a reference to Christ himself, the angel of the Lord encamps, there's that word camp again, like an army surrounding those who fear him, and he delivers them. So Jacob sent messengers, and isn't angels another word for messenger? So God shows him his messengers and his army, but Jacob's like, oh, I'm going to send my messengers out. Okay? It's like, yeah, that's cool, God. Okay, I'm still sticking with my plan here. He said, I'm going to send my messengers out before him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, to the country of Edom. Now, why is Jacob sending these messengers out? Because the last time he ran from his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. In fact, his brother said, I'm going to wait till dad dies, and then I'm killing you. <laughs> and so by this time, his dad is dead. And so he's thinking, 
I'm a dead man, but I have to go back to the promised land. I have Laban chased in one direction saying I can't cross back, so I have to go this direction. I just hope that my brother will accept me. <clears throat> and then, of course, it's the land of Edom, which is now named after uh, Esau's nickname, Red. And so Hebrew word red. And so he's in the red country here where his brother lives. And he's instructing him saying, here's what I want you to say. You know, I want you to, when you meet my brother, say your servant, Jacob. Now, wait a minute. God said the, the, the older shall serve the younger. But Jacob's like, no, I'm your servant. It's like he's saying, hey, that whole birthright thing, I'm sorry about that. I messed up. I'll serve you. And of course, that's not God's plan. God said from the beginning, the younger will be served by the older. And he lists all these things that he has. And if you keep track of it, there's seven different categories of gifts that he's giving here. Okay. But what, notice something here. When he first, the original plan has oxen, donkeys, male servants, female servants. He doesn't mention the camels. The camels, remember, were like the Mercedes. <laughs> you know, and he's got a bunch of them. We know he has at least 16 because all his children and all his wives rode on camels, not even counting Dinah. And, and so uh, he's got lots and lots of camels. But when he first sends out the gifts, he doesn't include the camels. I'm going to keep back the Mercedes for myself, but I'll, I'll give you these things here. And he, the reason he's doing this, it's a bribe. He's trying to find favor. Maybe I can bribe my brother into not killing me if I give him all these gifts. But this doesn't work, so he ends up with a prayer of desperation. So the messengers returned saying, we came to your brother and Esau, and he is coming to meet you. But there's bad news. He's got 400 men with him. Okay, Not 400 men and women. This isn't a big family union. He's got 400 men. And you know what the Bible says about the number 40 and 400, right? That's judgment. That's testing. And usually testing as in, I'm going to put you through the mill here. So God has poured out his judgment in, in 40s and 400s. Israel was in Egypt because they strayed from God in, in slavery for how many years? 400 years. Okay, so 400 means judgment. I'm coming to punish you. That's why I'm bringing 400 men who are probably armed. So this is not good news to Jacob. In fact, he's, he's not only greatly afraid, he's greatly afraid and distressed. He's trembling. He's shaken to the core. So he has a strategy. Again, he's trying to work this out. He doesn't pray. <laughs> he comes up with a plan first. And he divides his people with him and the, and the flocks and everything. And, and then now he's got the camels divided up and the two camps. Like they have a chance of defending themselves. Women, children, and animals. <laughs> and some men mingled in. But he thinks it's really not a matter of defending them. It's a matter of dividing, not to be conquered. And of course, Esau's thinking, if he comes to one and attacks them, the other can run away. And if he goes to this one, then this one can run away. He's just thinking, I'm going to lose half my family and half my possessions, but it's better to lose half than, than all of us die. And that's what his thinking was, but his thinking is flawed. He just saw the army of God. Why is he not trusting in God? He's, he's leaning on his own understanding. So Jacob said, oh God. Now he decides to pray. He comes up with a plan, but now he wants God to bless his plan. That's, a, that's backwards, isn't it? In fact, this is the first prayer in the Bible where someone is talking to God and God is not present. When you and I pray, we pray to our Father who art in heaven, right? But all the prayers prior to this passage right here was face-to-face. -face. God speaking to someone. But here, this is, this is the first prayer that's ascending to the throne, if you will. Notice that Jacob makes his plan, then he prays. And that's what we do as humans do. We come up, I'm going to do this and this and this. I want to get a job here. Oh God, please let me get this job. Instead of backing up and saying, God, here's a blank check. What would you like me to do? And then God shows you what he, want, what he wants you to do. And then say, okay, God, you bless me as I do your plan. But what we do is we say, God, here's my plan. You bless the plan. And that's not the way that God wants us to operate. But that's what Jacob is doing. He's doing things backwards here. Um, all right, let's see. And so then, when you look at Proverbs chapter 3, here's some wisdom for you that Solomon wrote. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart? All your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. What was Jacob doing? He was thinking. He's plotting. He's scheming before he's praying. So in all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. Okay? We need to ask God, what's the plan? What's the path? 
And then you bless me as I try to follow your leadership instead of coming with our own plan and asking God to bless it. We do that with careers. I want to be this. God, open the doors for me to go to the right college so I can have this career. No. Back up a couple of steps. Say, God, what do you even want me to be? I remember when I was in junior high, I saw this really cool film about the Alaskan pipeline when it was a brand new thing back in the day. And this guy had the job where he got... he. At night, when the sun went down, he would start at one end of Alaska at the, begin- at the end of the pipeline and fly north to the beginning of the Alaskan pipeline, and he had infrared cameras over it, and he was looking for heat, because wherever there was heat, there would be a leak. And his job was to say, hey, I detected a leak at mile marker number 3.78, and he'd call it in, and a crew would come out, and they'd fix the leak. I'm like, is that not the coolest job in the world? flying a helicopter, looking for leaks and whatever. And I determined right then and there, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. But then it, when I was 15 years old, I went to summer camp. And that's when God spoke to me and said, I want you to, to pastor. I want you to preach. And so God changed all my plans. But we do that with who we want to marry, what college we should go to, whether we should change jobs. We all often put the cart before the horse, asking God to bless our plans instead of asking him, But let me challenge all of you, whether you're 14 or 64, God gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. Ask God, what do you want you to do with your retirement? What do you want you to do with the rest of your life? Everything involving all your plans, acknowledge God through every detail. And so he says, oh God, my father Abraham. And notice he's not saying my God, he's saying the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Abraham. Isaac, he really doesn't have that quite the personal relationship he should have right at this point. He said, you're the Lord who said to me, return to the country that I may do you good. You're the one who told me to come here. And now I find out I'm come here and I don't see this as good. I see my brother coming to kill me. What's up with this, God? And, and I think he catches himself and says, you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking to God this way. And he goes, ah, well, actually, I'm really not worthy. Now he's starting to be humble. Now he's starting to realize my plans don't work. Here I'm yelling at God saying, you're the one that brought me here to do me good. This isn't good. But then he realized, well, you know what? If this is what happens, my brother kills me, maybe I got it coming. I stole his birthright. (laughs) I stole his blessing. I've been tricking and scheming and tripping people up. I've been living up to my namesake for sure. And I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Up to this point, I've lived life much better than I ever could have possibly deserved. This is a great attitude. Mark chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And he, talking about John the Baptist, preached, After me comes he who is mightier than I. Who's John the Baptist talking about? Jesus. And here's what John the Baptist thinks about how worthy he is. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see, rabbis could have their students do all kinds of things for them, but the rabbis determined that you don't ask one of your students to unloose your your sandal. Your slaves could do that. The lowest of the low could do that, but you don't ask other else. John the Baptist says, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be the slave of Jesus, let alone one of the disciples of Jesus. Another reflection of a humble attitude is the centurion. He replied when he asked Jesus, Jesus offered to come to this house to heal his servant. He said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you even come under my roof. But if you would only say the word, my servant will be healed. Man, what humility that he shows here. And this guy's a centurion. He's, he's a captain over at least 100 men. And by the way, you know, recognize where are these pictures from? The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, man, you really need to watch it. It's awesome. Anyway, so... Jacob finally comes to the point that John the Baptist had and the centurion had to where they're, they're humble. And Jacob hasn't experienced this up to this point. He said, he realizes that for, with only my staff, when I, when I came to this land, all I had was a, a staff in my hand. Who does that sound like? You can see on my note here. Moses, remember that? He stands before God and God's appearing to him in what form? Yeah, a burning bush. And God says, take off the shoes from your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And then he's telling them, I I want you to go back to Egypt and set my people free. 
He's like, oh man, God, why would you choose me? I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a stutterer. I, I can't even talk right. Why would you call me? And God goes, what is that you have in your hand? He goes, it's a staff. And he goes, throw it down. You know? And God can take what's the one thing in our hand and use it for his glory. When we think we're not able to accomplish anything. Remember when Jesus is there teaching thousands and thousands of people and there's no food. They've been there for days and they're, they're very hungry. And one little boy has his lunch in his hand. And he donates his lunch and Jesus multiplies it. God can take the little bit that you have in your hand and use it for great things for his glory. He said, it's only with this staff I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. Look at all that you've blessed me with. He's starting to realize this isn't because I've been so smart. It's because you've blessed me in spite of, in spite of me being a jerk. And this is where the humility is starting to stink in. So now his prayer changes. So please, Deliver me from the hand of my brother. I'm not going to come up with any more plans. The only way I'm going to survive this encounter is if you deliver me. My strategy to bribe him is not going to work. You know, my strategy to divide in two camps is not going to work. I need you to deliver me from the hand of my brother. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. I think he has that order backwards, don't you think? <laughs> Who did he mention first he wants protected? Yeah, he, even though he's praying the right prayer, he's still the selfishness is still coming through a little bit. He's got himself first. He said, but you said, I will surely do you good. So I'm going to trust you, God. And you know, that's a great way to pray, pray, is quoting God's promises. He's like, wait, why am I freaking out here? You promised that you will do me good and you'll make my offspring as a sands of sea. So if I die today and all of us die, your promise won't come true, and I know you keep your promises, God. So I'm going to try to be confident tonight. I'm, I'm going to try to trust you and your promises. God will often put you in desperate situations with no way out so that you will do just that. Trust his promises. When your back is to the wall, when, there, when the bank account is in the red, when you get the pink slip with no hope of a next job, God will put you in that situation to say, all right, God, what am I going to do? And God's like, thank you. That's why I've been wanting you to ask all along. You know, sometimes when you're flat on your back, the only place your eyes can look is where? Look up. So let's go to the next thing, his attempt at appeasement, okay? He still sent, or he's already sent out the gifts, okay? It's too late to bring them back. So he stayed there that night from what, from what he had with him. He took a present for his brother Esau. Now I want you to count the categories. In fact, this side right here, I want you to count the categories of animals and on this side, I want you to count the total number of animals, okay? So here's your, here we go. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves. We don't know how many calves, so let's just assign one calf to each mom, okay? Still going with me on the math here? 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. All right, so how many categories did we have? I had seven, seven, okay. So seven categories, all right? What's seven in the Bible? Completion, perfection, okay? So he's basically giving the perfect gift, if you will. And, and it, remember, at first he wasn't going to throw in the camels, but now after a good conversation with God, he does put in the camels. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't catch that unless you were just reading it very carefully, which is the way we should read our Bibles, right? And then, so we know what seven means. So how many livestock were there total? 580? Is that what you got? 580. Good, good job. What, what's the meaning of the number 580? Um, I have no idea. I really don't. I have no idea. <laughs> so these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, and let's put a gap between them. So he, when he first sent these out, it's like, go. Okay, well, let's wait a few hours. Okay, ready? Next crew, go. All right, let's wait another hour or two. Let's go, next, next crew, go. So he's putting a space in there because at any point, this is his, his retreat plan, right? And um, he instructed the first, he said, when my Esau brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? He asked you these three questions. Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Here's your answer. They belong to your servant. Remember that. We're switching roles here. I'm reneging on the whole stolen birthright thing. And they are a present to you, my Lord Esau. So he's so, shown respect. And he says, and by the way, Jacob's behind us. Okay, so after all these waves and waves of gift, he's eventually going to come here too. But he's using the women, the children, the sheep, the oxen, the camels as shields. 
He's protecting himself, you know. Again, Jacob's out for himself, very selfish in many ways. And, it, and so he just, he, each wave of gifts, he tells them the same, the same thing over and over again. And he says, my whole purpose is, is I may appease him. So with the present, that's one big present here, that goes ahead of me, afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Just maybe he will not kill me, he'll accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. Now, he's in the same place. Who else is in the camp? The angels of God. But he's kind of like forgotten about all that, even though the Bible mentioned it quickly. So we saw his plan for manipulation. <clears throat> then when it didn't work, he had a prayer of desperation. He's still going through with the attempt to appease him with all the animals. That brings us to this night of wrestling. And this is where our main focus is on the WWE here, okay? So the, the same night that he arose, he took his two wives, he sent them off last, two female servants and the 11 children, and they, uh, they crossed the fort of the Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across and everything else that he had. So now, where is Jacob? He is left alone. Okay? This is probably the first time he's been alone in 20 years. Think about that. He has not been alone. He's got too many wives, lots of kids, lots of things going on with Laban, but right now he is very much alone. We live in a culture where people are afraid to be alone. Have you noticed that? Now, I realize there's, there's good and bad about that. It's good because we are meant to be social creatures. We're meant to interact. But we're also meant to have solitary times as well. The Bible talks about both. <clears throat> but we're even more afraid of silence. Have you noticed that? Uh, we, we don't like silence. I know a guy one time that he always had a television on in his house, even if he wasn't watching it. He just liked the background noise. One of my favorite songs of all time, and definitely one of my favorite music videos, uh, is called Car Radio by 21 Pilots. And I can't spit these lines very well as they do, but I'll try. I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought, because somebody stole my car radio, and now I just sit in silence. Sometimes quiet is violent. I find it hard to hide it. My pride is no longer inside. It's on my sleeve. My skin will scream. I hate this car that I'm driving there's no hiding for me. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. There's no distraction to mask what is real. I could pull the steering wheel. I ponder something terrifying, because this time there's no sound to hide behind. I find over the course of human existence, one thing consists of consistence, and it's that we're all battling fear. Oh dear, I don't know if we know why we're even here. Oh my, too deep. Please stop thinking. I liked it better when my car had sound. There are Things we can do, but from the things that work, there are only two. From the two that we choose to do, peace will win and fear will lose. There's faith and there's sleep. We need to pick one, please, because faith is to be awake, and to be awake is for us to think, and for us to think is to be alive. And I will try with every rhyme to come across that I am dying to let you know you need to try to think. I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought because somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence. We choose often entertainment over enlightenment. We choose binge watching over Bible reading. We choose Instagram over inspiration. We choose Candy Crush over Christ. We choose Facebook followers over being followers of Jesus. When God says all along, just be still. We need solitude. We need silence. Not every time you get in the car do you have to get the Bluetooth going. Not every time you, in the morning you wake up you have to turn the TV on. Why not just choose silence? Because that's when God speaks to us best. When we get along with His Word and just say, Lord, speak to me and enjoy and relish quiet time with God. That's why we call devotions quiet time because it's meant to be that way. Jacob was left alone, and then all of a sudden, a man wrestled with him. Notice, notice the initiation here. It's not like Jacob picked the fight. Jacob's thinking, he's probably flapping out the blanket, about to lay down. All of a sudden, a guy tackles him from behind. Now, let me ask you a question. After all that's happened over these 20 years, and all the, the entourage he's sent out in the waves, who do you think he might think this is? Esau. Like, oh my gosh, he's here, he's attacking me. And it's dark. There's no street lights. There's no candles. There's nothing like that. There might be a campfire, but that 
doesn't illuminate it best. In fact, I think if he's going to go to sleep, he might have put that out. We don't know. So he is in the dark and someone has attacked him and is wrestling and it's hand-to-hand combat. And his, his wrestling doesn't just last for 30 minutes or an hour. It lasts till the break of day. Now, we don't know if this is three o'clock in the morning because he sent out the family at night. We don't know if he's trying to get a few hours sleep. We have no idea how long it lasts, but it lasts a long time. Now, I, I've played a lot of different sports in my life. I'm not great at any of them, but I like basketball best. I've played a little football. I've done a lot of things. But can I tell you that wrestling is the most grueling athletic event I've ever been a part of? Even though it's only like six minutes, when you have someone clutching you and you're clutching them, you can't take a breather because as soon as you do, they put you on your back and they pin you. And, and so it is like intense, grueling. It's like if you played football and you block on a play, you block, 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 block for five seconds and the play's over. But in wrestling, you, you, you grind, you grind, you grind, you grind, and it's for a few minutes. It's very, very intense. And this happened all night long. So the question is, who is this man? Is, is it Esau? Well, we find out, spoiler alert, it's the Lord. And that's not just my opinion. Well, here, verse 28, just to skip ahead, it says, you have striven, which means wrestled with God. And then also he says in verse 30, he says, after this wrestling match, he says, I have seen God face to face, and yet I lived. So we know that's who it is, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when this man, who's the God man, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, that, that's um, a really interesting phrase. If it's God, how could he not prevail? Isn't God all-powerful? This is really an unusual situation here. So why didn't Jesus prevail against Jacob? Well, let me set out several theories that scholars and theologians have put forth. And let's see if you pick one. I'll tell you which one I like, but I'm just going to set them forth first. Number one, he could not prevail over, it wasn't talking about physically, it was talking about the will to change his heart. I don't know about that one. I, well, I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag. I don't like that one. Anyway, but some people say he couldn't prevail to change his heart. I don't think that's what I was talking about. Number two, he held back because he was just toying with Jacob. It's kind of like when Chris wrestles Theo. It's like, eh, and you're just kind of just holding back and you're, you know, letting them jump on you. But, you know, at any time you could just slam them and you'd beat it over with. But I don't know if that's it either. The third most commonly held one, and this is the one I lean towards, is Jesus came in weakness and wrestled as a man. Isn't that how he came in Bethlehem? He needed his diaper changed, he needed to be fed. It talked about Jesus growing tired. I think Jesus is coming in his human form here, in human flesh, and he doesn't use his divine power till the end. There's several times in the Gospels you see Jesus, he's tired, he weeps. Obviously he dies, he bleeds, but when he wants to, he can use his divine power. I think here he's not using his divine power until the end, and there's a reason for that. I'll tell you here in a second. So when the man saw that he, could not, that he did not prevail against him, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint. He hit him, he struck him so hard, but it says he touched him. Supernatural power knocks his hip out of joint. So this is an unusual scene here. Here's a, a picture of x-ray of hip sockets. Your femur is the strongest bone in your body. By the way, per square inch and per weight human bone is the strongest material on planet earth by weight so it's pretty amazing what god has created there and a broken femur is the most painful pain you can have in your life and you have all kinds of joints all over your body the strongest joint in your entire body is your hip socket okay and this is where god hits him and he hits him so hard that he knocks it out okay now Notice where the hip socket is. And there's an inside and there's an outside. And I will tell you, I've wrestled with this for months, okay? Because I knew this pastor was coming and I've read and read and read and read. And honestly, I was looking for this to mean something different than what it was appearing to mean, okay? But I'm going to have to yield and say, it, as awkward as uncomfortable as it is, I'm going to have to go with people who know more than me. Tim Mackey, many of you know him from the Bible Project. He's also a Hebrew scholar. He knows Hebrew probably as good, if not better, than most people on the planet. On the planet, and there's other theologians who also go with this. They believe that God punched him in the groin. I, I know. I don't even like saying that. I've been dreading saying this even this morning. But this is, and the translators have tried to be gentle and tried to be 
tactful. And they kind of avoid like, well, it's the hip socket. And of course, it wasn't from this side. It was from this angle here. And it's like, well, why would he do that? Why would you hit someone there? That's a low blow, literally. Okay, it's illegal in boxing. I think it's probably illegal in the WWE. And they have no standards. But so here, this is, appears to be what God is saying. Why there? Well, he said, your seed, your offspring, I will bless. Right? And of course, this is a man's, um, what am I trying to say here? This is his manhood here. He's saying, if this is going to happen, if you're going to have children from here on out, it's going to be me doing it and not you. In fact, some people believe that Benjamin was already conceived when this happened and that he, gave, he, he uh, fathered no more children after that. And so the lineage was carried on through the 12 tribes, which are already in place. So it, it's also a way of humiliating someone, bringing them to their lowest point. So do with that what you want. Fine, I'm done. I've been doing this for months. It's over. Okay. So then he said, let me go. So Jesus is saying to him, let me go. The day is broken. Now, he's in incredible pain, but he's no longer wrestling. He's got him by the ankles just like, and he's in incredible pain. Just like, no, please, please, please. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, what did Jacob want his whole life from his dad, Isaac? Just a blessing. He wanted it so bad that he was willing to steal it. He, he's doing this in many situations. Jacob thought, if I only had my father's blessing and his love, I'd be happy. And then if I only had the birthright, well, then I would be happy. And if I only had my father's blessing, I would be happy. And if only I had the blessing of Rachel, man, if I could marry that good-looking girl, I would be happy. And if I only had the blessing of wealth and Laban stopped cheating me, then I'd be happy. And if only I had the blessing of Esau and blessing me instead of trying to kill me, then I'd be happy. And God's like, you know what? You're looking for love in all the wrong places. Someone ought to make a lousy country song out of that. Anyway, finally, Jacob realizes that the only blessing he needs is from God. If you get nothing else out of this morning, get this right here. The only person's approval you need in the entire universe is the one whose opinion matters most. And that's your heavenly father. When you know that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he sent his son to die for you, what does it matter what Abel thinks? What does it, what does it really matter? That, that's all that matters in life is that you can go on from there and live a happy, fulfilled life. Psalm 119 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. David was a shepherd and he, taught, he was used to sheep just roaming off. But when he was afflicted, that's when he started keeping his word. Have you been afflicted? Can you think of the low times in your life, especially the low time that brought you close to God? You might be in that low time right now. You, if, we, if you were to stand up and take a mic and tell your story, we might be all be shocked at what you might be going through or what you have gone through. I remember when I was 14 years old and I was a freshman in high school and I thought I was going to be a big bad dude at high school you know, I was going to be a basketball star, and I was going to have lots of girlfriends. And, man, I was all excited about all that. And then it hit me, like, in a matter of days. And I had what three dermatologists called the worst case of cystic acne they had ever seen. My entire forehead, all down my cheeks, all over all my beard, all my neck, all over my back and chest, cysts all over. You ever had a cyst? Okay. I literally had a thousand of them, all over, almost every inch of my up from the waist up all over me. I would go take two t-shirts, no, two shirts to school because sometime around the middle of the day, one of them would break and I have a big spot of blood on my back and I'd have to go to the bathroom and change my clothes because they would break all the time and ooze and it was nasty. Remember Job? <laughs> That's kind of what I felt like. But did you know that God used that time of humiliation, embarrassment? You know how cruel high schoolers can be? I was called pizza face and monster and everything else you can think of. And yet God used that to make me closer to Jesus than I'd ever been in my life. And I, I would go through that all again if that's what it takes. And God afflicts us each in different ways. And God can use that affliction to draw you closer to him. And this is where Jacob is now afflicted. He's in severe pain. 2 Corinthians 12 says, so to keep me, this is the Apostle Paul take, talking. He said to keep me from becoming conceited because of the 
incredible number of books of Revelation I've written about the New Testament. I've written more New Testament books. That's something to get pretty cocky about. Say, hey, look at me. God's using me. But God didn't want me to become conceited. A thorn was given to me in my flesh. And he calls this thorn a messenger of Satan. Now, some people think that it's a person who harasses him. Maybe it is. I think it, it's in his flesh, though. And the messenger is a metaphor. I actually think this is his eyesight. Most people who lived around Paul said he was going blind. And one of the letters he talks about, you see which, with what big letters I'm writing? You know, because it was a short letter as far as content goes, but he was writing with big letters because he, he couldn't see. He was losing his vision. Again, that's my opinion. And he said, but God gave whatever this was to me to keep me from becoming conceited. He said it twice. A.W. Tozer, anything you can read by him is awesome. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I remember before, uh, about uh, around the year 99, 1999, the year 2000, I'd gone through a whole lot in my life and, and I got to the lowest point in my life, you know, and God had used this again, kind of like he did in my teenagers, to bring me back to him. And before that, when I'd go to church, I'd listen to music and I might sing, I might not sing. But you know, after that brokenness, I can't help but sing. And it's like every Sunday morning, just tears would flow as I would sing because God had broken me. And when you're broken, you come to the point where like, God, I'm nothing without you. I don't want to live my life without you. Have you been broken deeply? He, Paul goes on to say, so for, the, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm okay with it. I don't have to be the best at everything. Because I've learned that when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's one of the best Bible verses you can memorize right there. When you are at your point where you don't know what you're doing, then God says, great, now I can help you, and you'll be. I'll make you strong. Uh, Caitlin played a month ago with a basketball team that she wasn't on that team, but they need their shorter players asked if she would help and that she knew she plays for another team. And the name of the basketball team is called Strong When Weak. Isn't that a great name for a basketball team? This is them right there. In fact, she's playing again this afternoon with them in the championship. So their team motto is we're strong when weak and they're in the championship. It's a great way to remember that verse. And he says, and he said to them, what is your name? So he's saying, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So he's no longer wrestling with them. He's just clinging to them by the ankles, the way I picture it. He says, hey, so what is your name? As he's looking them down the ground. And of course, Jesus knows his name, right? He wants him to think about what is your name? Yeah, my name is Trickster. <laughs> my name is the guy who trips people up. I am the heel gripper, literally. He said, you know, you've been grabbing everyone's heels to trip them up. Your whole life, your brother's heels, your dad's heels, Laban's heels. But look at whose heels you're clinging to now. And you're not doing it to trip me up. You're doing it because you want me. And that's where he needed to be all along. So he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel means wrestling with God. You've been wrestling with everybody else. Wrestle with me in a good way. You've striven with God and with men. And here's what's interesting. He said, and you've prevailed and you won. Wait a minute. He's on the ground with a broken, I mean, a hip socket out of thing, clinging like a little baby to Jesus' ankles. And he said, you fought with God and you won. What does that even mean? Let's let the Bible interpret for us. Jesus said, whoever loses his life, what? Will find it. By losing this wrestling match, you actually have won. You won me. Then Jacob asked him, well, please tell me your name. He's like, you really need to know? And notice he doesn't answer. He said, why, why do you ask me my name? Here's the blessing. And he gave him what he wanted. So Jacob called the, place of the, the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed to Peniel limping, and he would limp for the rest of his life. And guess what? Every time he got up to walk, what would he think about? The night I wrestled with God, and I, I'm closer to him now than ever. Jesus caused Jacob to be perm to permanently limp so he could no longer run from his problems, but slowly walk from God. He's, he ran from Esau. He ran from Laban. He was always running, but now he can't run any longer. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel, and this is Moses talking, there was a custom that was short-lived from that time to the time of Moses. They don't still do it today. Whenever they'd butcher a cow or any animal, they would not eat that, that muscle or tendon that goes through there. 
uh, interesting commentary. It means probably more of them. Jesus wounded Jacob in the darkness so that he would give up control of his life and cling to him. But the gospel here is that Jesus was wounded in the darkness. Remember, at noon, from noon to three, it was dark. And he gave up his life so that we, so he could cling to us. Let me ask you this morning, are you still wrestling with God for control of your life? Are you still saying, well, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I'm going to work where I want to work. Or have you said, Lord, here's my life. Take it. I will change my ideas. I'll change my beliefs. I'll change my lifestyle. I'll change my priorities. Whatever you ask me to do. Romans chapter 10 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'm tired of being in control. I'm tired of fighting with you. You're in control, Lord Jesus. And I believe in my heart that you, you died on the cross, you were buried, and you rose from the dead. What happens? You're saved. Do you know Jesus that way, or are you still fighting? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great story. Thank you for all that Jacob went through. And Lord, Jacob was such a difficult character. He constantly manipulating and scheming, and yet you loved him, and you chose him over Esau. Lord, we're in the same boat. We're very stubborn. We're very prideful. We selfishly want our way. We're still very much toddlers at heart, but yet you love us anyway. Father, I pray that we would just stop, be broken, and that we would give our all control to you. Lord, if there's someone here today who's never been born again, never been saved, I pray today would be the day that they would stop wrestling with you and just cling to you and give their life to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you made a decision for Christ today, man, let me know. Or if you still have more questions, I'd love to talk to you, buy you lunch, take you out for a cup of coffee or something to let you know how you can know for sure you're saved. All right, we're going to do a short question and answer session. But I'm just going to read the one question we have and then we'll be dismissed. Okay, you all want to hear one question this morning? All right, so here we go. When we ask God what he wants us to do, how do we hear his answer? What if there is no answer? Anybody ever felt like that before? Yeah, that's a great, great question. This is where the rubber meets the road. So we ask God what he wants us to do. We pray it. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we're like, but what is his will? So <clears throat> you've heard me talk about the decision-making funnel before. So first thing you do is go to the word. Is there a direct command that says you should do it or shouldn't do it? Nothing to pray about it. Okay, if the Bible says thou shalt not, then you're going to say, yeah, but I want to. And you'll say, no, if the Bible says don't do this. Or if there's, there's something the Bible says you should do this. Like you don't get up on Sunday morning and say, well, do I go to church today or not? You know, I don't know what God's leading me to do. You know, there's a command that says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So if you're physically able, you, you meet with God's people. And all, lots of other, other commands in the Bible, right? But what if there's no clear command? then what you do is look for a biblical principle. where, Like, for example, a biblical principle is that debt is something you should be really cautious about. It doesn't say never go into debt. It just says, hey, plan on being this person's servant for a while while you pay off that car. You know, you're obligated to them now. So, again, debt's not forbidden, but it's like the less you have, the better. So do we buy this car or not? Do we pay cash or we finance? There's no command that says you do or don't. So that's when you think, okay, Maybe we shouldn't. We've already got a lot of debt, and we don't know what tomorrow holds, so maybe we shouldn't. Um, so then, what if there's, you're still not clear after biblical principle? The next thing the Bible says to do is go seek wise counsel. The Bible says that the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who can render reason. So if you've got seven people telling you, man, that's...